Welcome back to a bevy of bloods for round three of the 2023 season. In this week's episode, I'm joined by Steve-O as we get our teeth stuck into the big loss against the dominant Ds. So fluff up your tail feathers and settle in for a potentially biased yarn about all things to do with our beloved bloods. Okay, Swans fans, we kick off the round three review by welcoming back the bevy of bloods OG, Steve-O. Welcome back to the game. Uh, cheers, mate. Good to be back. Um, first one of the year and not the best result, but we'll we'll go through it anyway. Yeah, that's right. We'll kick into the therapy session in just a second. So, um, But with the game, T, tell us just quickly. So last Sunday, our Sydney Swans were defeated by the Melbourne Demons by 50 points with a final score of 21-8, 134 to 12-12-84. So, Steve-O, what were your first impressions after that loss? Uh, 50 points, yeah. I mean, it it probably sounds a bit worse than it was on the balance of the whole game. They definitely blew us away in the last quarter and a half. But I don't want to overreact either. You know, it's early in the season. It's hard to get a read of how it's all going. They were very good. Swans were very flat. Um, and we're probably not going to get a team kick that straight either for the rest of the year. I mean, I think at one point at their peak, they'd kicked 14 goals, three to our nine goals, eight or nine or something. So that's also part of the story. <laughs> it's like they couldn't miss, right? Like, I, I, even that last goal when the guy's in the pocket and then just cracks it towards goal. And I'm like, you know, he's not going to try that hard. Surely he's not going to go in. And he just, that extra little dagger in the heart just at the end of the game just to really annoy you. I think Horse's response as well was, this is unusual, like, they were kicking so straight and it's like, what, what can you do? Like when you're kicking 21 goals, it's, it's just, it's hard to keep up. It doesn't matter what you do around the Yeah, pitch, that's so. it. And, and like, exactly. What do you do? I think uh, at, at the end of the third quarter, I think at three quarter time, the scoring shots were even. I've written down here, they were 14-4. We were 9-9 at the end of the third quarter. That's the same. That's 18 shots each. So, you know, they, <laughs> they kicked 14 goals and we didn't. <laughs> that's basically the core of it, I think. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the points, my first impressions as well, just to kind of lighten this up, was Clayton Oliver's hair. How, how, how do we how do we score it? Do we, is, thumbs up, thumbs down. What, what's your scoring system, Steve? I, I honestly think it's an improvement on his twenty twenty two haircut. So I think the the extra length in it has has made it slightly uh, more okay. I, I think the best hair that's ever graced a football pitch is James Rose, round twenty two in twenty fifteen against GWS. Kicked three goals in the third quarter, uh, and James Rose's hair looked like a Pantene ad. So nothing <laughs> is ever going to compete itself. It was beautiful, stunning. <laughs> well, what a um, what a guy! <laughs> what, what a bloke! Um, one of the things I did notice, mate, and I don't know if you saw that they the team as a whole, so the Demons, did a really good job of basically keeping Blakey and Warner uh, without the ball. Or when they did have the ball, they had very very limited time to use it. Yeah, they did. They stopped the Swans' run sort of off half-back and through the centre really effectively through most of the game. There was a, there was that period. There yeah. was no no surprise that bit where the Swans sort of did get on top, like through parts of the second quarter and the third. Um, they got that run back. The Swans were able to really just ping out of half-back and through the centre again, and then you know Melbourne clamped them down again. Yeah, and the well, the other part is Buddy versus May. What did you think going into the game, and how do you think it kind of? transpired do you, do you, who do you think kind of 
got away with the biscuits for that game. I didn't think Buddy had a had a bad game. I read quite a bit of stuff in like media and social media and stuff afterwards. It was critical of the Swans' tall forwards, all all three of them. I thought Franklin did pretty well. Um, he got a couple of goals. He missed a couple of shots in that period where the Swans were coming back. That if he'd got, could have changed things quite a bit. And he he actually gave a bit of spark and a bit of life to the forward line when they were struggling to kick goals. So I didn't think that, that Franklin had a terrible game. May is very good. He's one of the best key defenders in the AFL. So I think it was a pretty pretty decent battle actually between the two of them. Yeah, I, I kind of agreed. I kind of thought it was a really fun game to watch between those two in itself, the game inside of the game. I did like it when, I mean, I think May got the most of Buddy um, for a couple, not, not necessarily because there were the one-on-one battles, but more so just the general ground presence and where he was. And, you know, for instance, just stopping that goal when Lever was chasing down Buddy. Buddy had a crack at goal, would have scored it if, if uh, May wasn't already there, just uh, negotiating that, that dual prong so perfectly. But also I did enjoy when uh, Buddy just flipped May off him uh, at one yeah. point and then uh, took that grab out just outside 50, I think. Yeah, it was a good one. Um, all right, look, let's get straight into the good, the bad stats. Uh, what did you see, Steve, that you're going to kind of raise up here? Um, in, in terms of the numbers, I guess the one, this isn't this isn't good, I'm going to start with bad. Um, the Swans' pressure this week was terrible compared to the last couple of weeks. I mean, in the first two games of the season, this pressure rating that no one really understands how they make the number, but what we do know is that 200 is elite and the lower you get from 200, the worse it is. So this week, the Swans were 168, and they've been over 200 the first two matches of the season, like pushing that 200 mark and, and well beyond it, even at points of games. So so that, that stat was a bad one. And the other one, um, 82 points from turnovers, the Swans conceded in this match as well, which was a pretty pretty telling one. Um, so that, those were my two stats. Neither of them are good stats, but they're, they're the two that stood out for me. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're pretty ordinary stats. I mean, to you back you up, I, I'm, I've got my notes here from the game, the rewatch of the game, which was tough to watch. But the first uh, four things that I've got here is Dill missed kick turnover, Dill missed kick caused the goal, Blakey missed kick, Mills didn't follow Oliver caused the goal, Laddams um, non foul in ruck caused the goal. It felt like no matter what we did to touch it, um, every mistake we made was punished, and a, and a good AFL team would do that to you. So. Mm. It's not so much perhaps of how, at that stage of the game anyway, it wasn't so much about how good these are because we, you do expect your opposition to punish you for a mistake. It's also we were kind of letting up those mistakes in very easy places to run on, so it was a bit tough to watch. So that's a pretty good stat there. I would probably touch on the, um, the contested possessions. So it's one of those things, and it was mentioned on the Twitter space, and I'll mention that at the end of the, end of the potty, that you, know, you don't get beaten by what you know. We know two things about the Ds. Their contested possession is superb. Uh, they've got some of the best in the game at exactly that. And the way that their defenders move and their strength is don't bomb it on their heads. I feel like we did both of those things, and then we walk away with a convincing loss against playing into the opposition's uh, strengths and then we're baffled as to how it happened. That's my take on it. What's yours there, Steve? I would like to hear it. 
Yeah, I think so. And and you know what you're going to get against Melbourne. They're um and and Melbourne like okay, they've got these stars. They've got Pachaka and and Oliver out of the middle, and they they killed us. Like they really cut us up. They both played very good games. Um, but it's not those two guys. It's everyone else. It's all of these other players at Melbourne that come in. Like their wingers were very very good. Um, Langdon. And, um, and Hunter, they both had very, very strong games off the wing um, and got a couple of goals out of them as well, out of their wingers. Our wingers did not. If you look at like like Stevens and McInerney, who were on the wing for good chunks of the game, and then Stevens got subbed out in the final quarter. But I think they got a combined, I've got written down here, 28 combined touches out of the two of them. And and the Melbourne wingers got almost 50 between them. So, so this is the difference. You know, mm-hmm. these sorts of other players just... We know their stars are going to kill us because they kill everyone. But we really didn't cover for all of their role players. And Melbourne have a lot of role players and they, they really did a job on us. That's interesting, mate. What, what about – one thing I did put in the, the good category was that our clearances were 33 apiece um, against an outfit that's quite good at that. So I took that away as like, okay, good. We weren't smashed at least in that place. I mean, mind you – uh, we're also up in the clearances in the grand final, and let's not talk about how that ended up. But yeah, yeah what, what, what was your what was your take on all that? I don't, clearances is one which, like, you always look at because you want to know who's been winning the clearances. But then, what's really important is what happens after the clearance. So, like in that first quarter, I think the Swans were up by by quite an amount in the first quarter in the clearances, but we lost the quarter six goals to one. So. So it's what happens after the clearance. So if, if we get a clearance out and then they turn it straight back over and score, then winning the clearance doesn't really tell us the story about who's on top in the game. So I think clearances is one of those stats in footy that you can be a bit careful with. Um, hitouts is another one, um, hmm. which I think a lot of the time what's important is what the Ruckman does after the hitout, unless they're getting a perfect like Nick Nat, Max Gorn down your throat tap, which happens even for these guys, happens occasionally. That's not like they're doing it every time because even if you're the best ruckman in the comp, you've still got a two-meter bloke trying to knock you over while you're trying to tap it to someone else, you know. So it's it's not easy to get that perfect hit out. So then what's really important with the rucks is what happens next after the tap. And, and so that's why I'm also careful with the um, with the hit out stat. Yeah, no, I can understand that. Look, I, I think I've, I've written the, uh, the stat down as a somewhat positive unit because of... I guess our question marks over Laddams and how he would go against Grundy. So, and and I was, and I'm referring directly to what he was doing in the air against against Grundy. Mm. So to see Grundy, Grundy, um, to to see him, I think he was equaled up at third quarter or at least a half time there. I was like, okay, let's that's positive. I think it was fourteen thirteen at half time, and I was like, well, you know, good on your Laddams. Like he's he's still amongst it. He's competing uh, against a very very good ruckman. But yeah, I agree. What Grundy did after the ball and that link up play and, and where his positioning was and how it was adding extra around the ground was particularly special. I think Laddams kind of came into his own a little bit more at the fourth quarter when, yeah, granted, it was lost and we got absolutely thrashed uh, on the scoreboard, but he was in good position. He took a couple of um, great marks against uh, opposition that were just, you know, he, out, he outmatched, like just absolutely outmatched by a couple of inches. And one those contested, uh, one those marks, and I'm like, okay, good. He's in the right place at least. He's matching up well. Still not getting around in places that I would like to see him. So, like for instance, we were in a back pocket, and I think it was Lloydy that had it looking for an option out. That's where you expect your ruckman, and it's where we typically see 
someone like a Sam Reed in the right position, which would be on that wing, ready to take a contested mark against a, a mismatch and then get the ball, ball propelling forward. And Laddams were kind of stuck in that uh, back pocket as well. He's kind of standing there. And I'm like, Laddams, move, move. I'm <laughs> at the TV. But, like, but, you know, that's going to come in time. So there's not going to be a perfect position all the time. And that's it's just another game against a very, very good outfit. He's only going to do well. But all in all, I, I was kind of happy about the way that he played, and we'll get into that in a little bit, I guess. But um, yeah, yeah, he's against he's against Grundy. Grundy's one of the elite ruckmen in the competition. There's only probably half a dozen yeah. elite rucks, and Melbourne have two of them. And <laughs> and Laddams is, and he's not that experienced. Like we, I think we expect maybe a bit much of a guy that doesn't have a huge AFL resume behind him yet. He's developing as a ruckman still, and he wasn't disgraced by you know one of the handful of really top rucks in the AFL. So yeah, I, I think it's. It's a bit harsh on him to to be getting stuck in the Laddams for for having a terrible game, which I've seen a bit of online. Yeah, like one of the fellows um, did the Swans win, who has a, a channel on um, not a channel, but he's got an account on Twitter, and I recommend to everyone to follow him. He's quite quite interesting. It's quite good and insightful. Um, he did mention that we have when we think of Ruckman, we think of you know your Nick Nats, your Paddy Riders, your your Grundies, your uh, Gorns, like all all these like elite. Uh, Ruckman who has who have just insane skill sets, just crazy DNA, and we're not potentially that geared up to just watch a genuinely old school Ruckman to just be available. You no, know, someone who can compete in the tap, follow it up, put a crunching tackle on, and take a decent mark every now and then. Mm-hmm. We can't expect him to be like taking you know speckies every week like Nick Nat. You know, like no one's that gifted. So it's one of those things where we're all kind of gearing ourselves up to be used to a ruckman who just does ruckman stuff, you know, follows up the ball, smashes a mid every now and then, puts himself in the right position. That's really what we're asking for, Laddams. And I guess from what I saw, I was pretty impressed. I was happy with the way he was, was, he was pushing on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he had a few, a few bad moments that he'd want back, like a few possessions that didn't go right or wrong positioning and stuff, but he, I don't think he was disgraced. Uh, good. Uh, it's good to see we agree because we're about to disagree. In a, in a <laughs> we got, we got plenty of plenty of disagreeing to come. I mean, <laughs> well, all right. Let's um, let's type into the favorite moments and missed chances. Uh, what was on your radar of things to point out in the game that you enjoyed or disliked? Um, okay, favorite moments. There were two for me, and they happened pretty close to each other, actually. Um, the first was Papley's left foot goal in the third quarter. I mean, Papley only got, I think, eight disposals for the whole game, but three of those were goals and a couple more were inside 50s where he set up scoring. Um, so I think that, that was a really strong impact for a small forward. He played really, really well. And that one way he, he gets it, wheels around his left foot and just launches it from about 40 metres, that was, that was great. I love that. And it got us sort of a sniff, you know, to get back into the game in that third quarter. And then uh, a few minutes later, Errol Goulden, got a really good quick snap in a whole bunch of traffic in front of the goal and managed to hoik it through for another one. And so those two back-to-back was when I was up and about. I thought, okay, we can probably pinch this off this lot. And then they just went bop, bop, bop. And that was the end of it. But at least at that moment, I was feeling good about the game. Yeah, it was enjoyable at that moment. <laughs> it was really fun. Yeah. Um, Robottom's crummy goal, I loved. Um, and that was like forward pressure and a, and a Marty in, in the middle of it as well. I think I recall the same thing happening last week with Amadi as well, where he was kind of big on the pressure on the ground of all places, um, caused the ball to kind of come out of the contest and one of the mids ended up scoring off the back of it. So to see the second week in a row and to see Rowbottom, no, 
shove off a tackle pretty convincingly too and i was like wow row bottoms put on some put on some kilos so he looked really good i i, I love that moment that was kind of a good moment for amadi uh and Rowie in particular just doing mm. really good things with their little spots there yeah i've got a missed chance actually which sort of rolls off the back of my favorite goals a few minutes ago um that blakey miss where he he runs through the square, he gets on the end of a long one, he has a launch from about 50. If that goes through, it's a one-point game. He misses and it's a six-point game, and then that was the closest we got. So I just kind of think if there was one little frozen part of the game where maybe that could have been it. If that had gone through... Who knows? We might have had a might have had a half a decent chance. Yeah, yeah that's that's fair. Um, the other one that I liked, Buddy's little dribbler goal. Um, Buddy's mm, playing good. like a traditional small uh, tall forward in the first week, taking contested marks, and did a couple of that last year as well. And uh, he's going back to playing as a tall small forward. So he, that crummy goal, slapped on his boot. I don't know how it didn't bounce off anyone, um, but it didn't, and uh, got himself a goal for it. And I was up and about at that point. I was like, "Oh yes, like that's that's nice to see." But he's really kind of desperate for him, so yeah, lovely to see. But that was uh, yeah, a few decent points uh, during the game that we felt that kind of you know, got us excited, got my heart pumping in the right way. Anyway, yeah, there we go. Like, I guess I got one more sort of. This isn't really a missed chance, but it's more like a gone missing. We we had a lot of like prime ball using players that were really, really down. Like if you look at Warner got 19 touches, Parker 17, Goulden 15, Heaney 10. That's not a lot of impact out of four guys who you would really, really want to be having an impact. So in a sense, it's a missed chance because, you know, if they'd been more present in the game, we could have had a different result. Yeah, mate, I agree. It's been – it was tough to watch. And looking at the stat board, I know the stats aren't everything. Our eyes were backed up by the stats. As you mentioned there, a lot of key players – not getting their hands on the ball or at least not getting near the ball and putting enough tackles on to you know, pull this in our direction. So it was a, a, yeah, it was a game where across the ball we were a bit flat. I don't see it any other way. Yeah. Um, all right, let's talk about best on ground. Um, so on to the Bob medal, our equivalent of the Bob Skilton medal where we give points out to the players in the game uh, and then we provide them with a, I don't know, this week a ukulele uh, lesson that I'll I'll instruct. Um, I'll give them a little voucher to help them out. We can play a pretty mean ukulele. Uh, We give three, two, one points to the best Swans players in the game with the highest points getting that uh, voucher for a ukulele lesson. So three, two, one goes to Tommy Mac for three. Uh, Millsy for two and Ollie Florent for one. All right, mate. Uh, this is going to be interesting. Tommy Mack for three points. What did you think? Oh, look, I'll be honest. I, I didn't have him in my votes. <laughs> and I, I'm, <laughs> I'm starting to think maybe the reason he's got three votes is because I didn't know that the prize was a ukulele lesson and, and maybe he's just not such a musical fellow and he needs a bit of instruction so maybe that's why you've got him in there at number three because i can't for the life of me remember noticing him in the game <laughs> maybe that's good he's a fullback maybe it's good if you don't notice the fullback but yeah he wasn't he wasn't bad like he wasn't he didn't play a bad game but i didn't have him in my top three one of the reasons i think it's hard for you <laughs> is that okay so the reason the way that we put us together so to break the fourth wall for everyone out there listening in is we have a WhatsApp channel and then that's just kind of channel or whatever. Post-game, there's a bunch of us that just basically just slam it on and just start talking about the game. We ask for uh, Bob points and then we break it down together and build some kind of aggregate. Um, the 
everyone was convinced together that Tommy Mack was like, look, Tommy Mack played a pretty good game and like won a few stars in the game. And then Steve, you were saying, because Steve is in Finland, he's obviously on a different time zone. He wasn't looking at the 600 odd uh, messages that we posted uh, since that game and and then didn't see that Tommy Mack got the, the biscuits until this moment. <laughs> no, I had no idea. Because oh, I was because like, he wasn't bad. Don't get me wrong. He didn't play a bad game. He was solid. But, uh, yeah, because I watched the game on a delay. Like I often watch the early games because they're early here. Like they start very early in the morning here, often the day games in Australia. And so, yeah, so I'll look at the, I'll look at the bevy chat and there's like hundreds and hundreds of messages from during and after the game. And so I just didn't look at them. And I'm like, okay, Tommy got three. Good on him. Uh, I'm actually I'm actually now coming around. I've looked at the stats you got here. Now, now that I've looked now that I've looked at the notes on our run sheet, yeah, actually he did play pretty well. <laughs> there you go. Eleven one percenters as as Tommy is a brilliant ad. He's always he, he led the competition last year. Seven marks, uh, second in touch, uh, second in the team, fourteen touches, which is not bad at all. But I will uh, and okay, let me quickly. Riley Macker, who has a YouTube channel, and I strongly recommend to everyone out there to go uh, follow him. He's very very good. He's actually big swans fans and i wouldn't say they're geared towards the swans they're not at all they're very in the middle but he does love his swans so riley macker uh mentioned on twitter state uh, stats wise tommy mack has been the best one-on-one key defender in the comp so far lowest uh contested defensive loss percentage and tied fifth for most intercepts so an interesting bit of stats there i think tommy mack has played an incredible first uh for three games even in this loss but I can totally appreciate what you're saying, Steve-O, because as it turns out, Mungrel Punt, who is arguably the best, um, well, not even I think it's just they are clearly the best AFL um, uh, media destination in, in going around. They also agreed that Tommy Mack wasn't great uh, and that he was um, mismatched uh, coming up uh, up the ground and everything. So you're, if you did believe that, uh, Steve-O, you might be in good company. But across the board, Swans fans-wise, yeah, we all kind of, I've seen everywhere Tommy Mack is kind of the man where we want to give the biscuits to. So I don't know. I'm just – the only stat that I can back this up with, because all of the stats that you've given are very good, um, the only stat to back my point is that I guess if you concede, what, was it 21 goals? Twenty, I think 21 goals, it's kind of hard to give best on ground to your fullback when you're, when you're leaking five goals a quarter. <laughs> I mean, you can really blame the midfield, honestly. It's, it's never the backline's fault. Just just ask ask a defender. It's always the midfield. So maybe we should be looking at them. Shouldn't be giving any votes to the mids. Yeah, well, we're about to. So, so, <laughs> two, two, two points to Millsy uh, with his 25 touches, best uh, on the team, four tackles, four clearances, second on the team. How did you see Millsy's game there, steve He never gives up, does he? he and he was one of the ones who, in a pretty disappointing day, could at least go home and said he... He had a decent go. It wasn't his best game, but, you know, he tried. Yeah, his effort was there. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, the you know, the first bit of the game, he was clunky. Uh, he was kind of not to be seen a bit, which is a bit unusual for him. And I don't know, I felt that he's, he, he, I don't know, a couple of missed tackles, a couple of mistakes. He just wasn't grand. Definitely a big change when he walked over to Oliver in the second half and started tagging him and then started getting his touches, started making more of an impact. So, yeah, I was definitely happy with the way that he went over there. So that did make a big difference to his impact on the game. Yeah, definitely. He came into the game. And when the, in that period where the Swans sort of got a bit of momentum back, Mills was very involved. Uh, good. Okay, so no controversy nope, there with yep. the Mills one. Good to hear. The baby's in alignment. <laughs> uh, none this time. Uh, one point out to... 
Ollie, now we did amongst this kind of chat about who would get that one point. There's a couple other names that you, we can mention. Uh, but Ollie ended up getting the uh, the official uh, Bob points. How did you see Ollie's game there, mate? He was good. I mean, similar to Mills, he um he put in a good effort for most of the game. He he did his best to try and get the team going. He used the ball well. I think his his role across halfback, he's he's becoming a very very good AFL level player across halfback, which um which is nice to see. And today he just kept going. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Look, uh, rattled off a couple of uh, stats: uh, twenty one touches, second on the team, five of those contested, um, and three tackles. So uh, with Ollie, I just felt that he was finding space when there was limited space. Um, they had Blakey and Warner entirely wrapped up um, and it seemed like Ollie was managing to get himself the pill and also find himself a bit of space to get going. And there's a few moments in the game where you know, the, he had the ball running through centre square again for being the third week in a row, which is finding himself uh, space in a place where you shouldn't have space and uh, yeah, being able to use it somewhat effectively. So I liked what I saw and I liked what I've seen about him this entire year, to be honest with you. I kind of feel I stepped up a notch. So yeah, one one uh, biscuit over to Ollie, mate. Um, anyone else that you want to flag as having a decent game that could have arguably taken a biscuit? There weren't any real standouts, so there's always going to be quite a few you're going to argue over when the votes, when there's no real amazing performers on the day. Um, Papley already talked about, I thought he was good, his his involvement and his impact and the way that he sort of got the team up and going. Like he scored goals at key moments, which I think was really good. Um, all three of the tour forwards, I've read a bit in the media and heard a bit in the media getting stuck into the Swan stalls. I thought all three of them, like, like Franklin, um, uh, Amadi and McDonald, they all played good games. It, it changes, you know. With Franklin and the team, it was never going to be like it was against Hawthorne with the, um, with the two young guns up and about dominating the forward 50. So Amadi especially got much more of his football outside of the front 50 compared to previous week um, with Franklin in there. And Franklin's the main target in there. He was the one that was most targeted in the in the forward 50. The stats, this is off um, off on the couch. They they listed that Franklin was targeted 10 times, Papley, Hayward, McDonald, all three, McInerney, two, and Amadi, one, with kicks inside 50 when it was to a clear target. Um, so that changed the dynamic. I thought they were pretty good, all three of them. Go for it. I was just going to, sorry, just butt in there with uh, the Amadi piece. Um, the one thing I did notice was uh, the Buddy piece. Heaney, well, the whole team is still targeting Buddy a little bit too much, a little bit to our detriment. But uh, all in all, the, I think the Tour Fours were doing their job. Um, they kind of got mixed up a bit between each other, uh, both hitting a, a contest when arguably one of them should have been feeding off somewhere else. But nonetheless, like they're all looking pretty good. That three tour prong attack is not something I think we necessarily want to be happening every week, but it's not terrible. And uh, Amadi, yeah, seems to be getting better with the extra time he's having on the ground. So excited about that. I'm one of the first that last year I was in coming into this season, I was very unsure, like, you know, is him and McLean, the pair of them, you know, are these two guys going to actually be the forwards that we're hoping for after Franklin or are they just going to be the sort of guys who are okay and maybe get sent off another club or don't make it in the AFL? Amadi, this this week and last week has shown a lot to suggest that he, he is capable of being that type of forward, which is nice to see. And he's going to take time to develop, you know, he's a young forward, he's played a handful of games. Right. Anyone else on your list there, mate? Yeah, and I'll, I'll chuck in the, the ever-reliable Jake Lloyd. He Most weeks, he does everything that he should do. He uses the ball very well. He's he's stable. He's got quite a few detractors out there. Jake Lloyd, especially in his latter couple of years, he's still a very, very good player, and he was you know dependable in that game, the way that he um, 
contributed. No worries. Agree with all that. Uh, Lloydie is always, um, yeah, dependable man. Uh, Mr. Dependable up forward as well. And Harry Cunningham was um, playing a different role together and also wound up back a couple of times to help out. So, there. Happy to see him kind of get more of the ball as well. Um, so, someone I wanted to point out. Mate, um, post game. So, what were we at? So, injury wise, I didn't see any injuries. There was nothing listed anyway. Um, but I did see Heaney banged up at points during the game. Uh, anything else going on with uh, on the ground? No, you there was nothing reported out of it. It looks like everyone was fit coming from it. Yeah, it's interesting you say Heaney. He looked banged up because it's a big question. Like he he was pretty ordinary, really, against Melbourne for a bloke who was in the All Australian team six months ago. So it makes you wonder: like, is there something going on? Is he just out of sorts? Mm. Is he playing with an injury? Is he is his role? A bit weird. I mean, who knows? You got any ideas to what the Heaney solution is or situation? No, I mean, I thought I thought it might have been some injuries there, and um, like, are they? It, it, yeah, is he carrying an injury? Is he just kind of is it like a bad call? He needs to run himself through. You know, I wasn't sure how to deal with it. But then seeing it, I think it was the first quarter. I think it was the first quarter when you saw Horse just absolutely shredding into Heaney in particular. Is going off and I'm like okay it can't be an injury if horse is laying into him it's got to be his general game so I'm kind of and this is all speculation um, of course is I don't know anything other than what we know what we've seen on TV so I would be putting aside has he is he carrying an injury or at least carrying an injury that's uh, really slowing him down a lot like uh, Millsy was last year with the ankle um, at points um, I don't think it's something like that I think it's his role and his his just game is just flat, and I don't know why. I think his partner lives around the corner from me, so I might go um, sit outside her place and just ask, uh, just wait for him, and uh. just ask questions as, as he comes in. <laughs> just go, excuse me, <laughs> you don't I've know got me. A podcast, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you don't know me, but I have a podcast. Um, <clears throat> I did see a couple of others though, like uh, Harry Cunningham got absolutely whacked in the head by Laddams in a contest and went down for a concussion test. Um, came back and played the rest of the game, so that was fine. And Rowie also copped an absolute uh, smashing in the head. I think it was an Oliver, Clayton Oliver clash. Um, gashed himself up in his head pretty big. Um, got himself strapped up. I think he got tested and then went back onto the ground. So a couple of close calls, but I think we walked away somewhat unscathed. So that's, yeah, good. that's the way I saw it. MRO, nothing to report um, unless you saw anything. I, so. I, I didn't see anything. Oh, mate, I was watching that game live, actually, the um, the Blues-Giants one when that happened, and I, I couldn't figure out what happened. And because I've got it on, like, the like the international footy streaming thing, you can, you can do, like, live rewind, and I rewound to figure out. Well, I still couldn't figure out what happened until I explained it at three-quarter time, whatever it was. It was unbelievable. Yeah, the, the descent thing is a bit of a joke at the moment. Like the, how did you feel about Haywood getting up angrily, and then copying a descent for the for the sake of it? I, I the way that I saw it was, he was like he was just frustrated, didn't understand why that that foul was called, got up and just screamed out the f word, onto the ground, and then you know flexing at the same time, just a really frustrated young guy, and they called that as being aggressive towards the ref, uh, the ump. And they gave him a fifty for his for his effort. I felt that was a bit hard done by. I'm like, if you're going to ask a passionate AFL player to not get uh, you know 
not flex his muscles and scream at something that of a mistake they've made. You're asking a lot, I feel. And it wasn't directed at the umpire that I saw anyway. Um, and I, and yeah, he might have said the F word, but the F word is not, uh, it, it's, it's not uh, on, on the uh, umpire sheet of things you can't do. Uh, otherwise, it'd be a lot of uh, free kicks given. I, I saw it as being ordinary, mate. I, and I know it's just one call out of many. How yeah, I think this descent it? thing, I mean, it, it goes back to this one with Stephen Coniglio in the Giants game the day before where it was just, I mean, it was absurd, really. And and there's a difference between um, something which is aggressive or abusive towards an umpire and just expressing frustration at something which has happened on the field. There's a big difference between those two things. And and I, I can totally understand why the AFL wants to reduce um, any sort of negative behaviour towards umpires, that's perfectly sensible. They need to encourage umpiring at junior levels. And if it's not there at the AFL, then there's no respect. But I think that this, these sorts of incidents where clearly it's it's gone too far the other way, it can have the reverse effect because what happens after, say, the one in the Giants-Blues game, what happens after that is that the crowd turns on the umpire. So you then get the opposite outcome for what you're hoping for. And I think there's got to be a bit more, like you said, a bit more acknowledgement that there is human emotion involved in sport and that you have to give a little bit of flexibility when there's no harmful intent. The part that I kind of does my head in a bit as well is that there was plenty, it's just yeah. the inconsistency. There was plenty of moments in the game, uh, other games throughout the weekend and in those same games where the same thing's happening, where the players are putting their hands wide and asking why and you know, there was an instance uh, in the Blues uh, Giants game where they were pointing at the screen, like "Look at that!" Like if that's that's the, I thought the point about dissent and when it originally came in was just to take away the abuse to an umpire. That for that purpose, I could not agree more. I think it's a perfect thing. And I, you know, if you're going to be sitting there, even if you're sitting on the sideline and you're screaming murder at these at these umpires. I agree with your your point. The point of it being that we're trying to protect the umpires at a junior level. If you're doing that on the ground, send you. You know what I mean? You got to walk away. They do it in baseball. If you're on the side of the, if you're just a spectator and you're just screaming murder at a at an umpire, they'll send you. You can't watch the game, even if you're at a park game watching a under twelves or whatever. And I know this from experience being an umpire in baseball. And I I think that's a a good thing for the game it helps with the juniors because you do want the the 14 year old kid to be playing and, and, and coaching if uh, sorry umpiring if he's interested in it and if you're taking that away uh sorry the aggressive element away that might scare someone off i think that's a good thing but what you can't do is then assume that everything spoke to the umpire that's in disagreement is presumably dissent that's not dissent if you're screaming f whatever at an umpire really angrily that yeah, absolutely. Every day, every day of the week before this dissent rule came in, that would have been abuse to an umpire. I don't know if there was a rule for it, but that should have been given a fifty. But if you're getting up screaming, hollering, and uh, and a bit annoyed, that's nothing. If you're putting your hands sideways and not necessarily towards the ref, that also isn't dissent. So I think there's just so much grey area, and no one's applying it in a consistent form. And I actually. I think that the umpires themselves are not in alignment to what it is because a different umpire will call it. This week it was definitely something, it was the thing of the week. All the umpires were out there to try to do something about it or, or you know, make sure that they remember that this was a rule that we need to enforce. But they're all enforced at different levels and I genuinely think that the umpire ranks don't even agree with bits of it. So 
there's a lot of questions to be asked. It just annoys me that it ruined an AFL game for someone, not the Swans, because it didn't affect the Swans' scoreline by 50 points. But it is something that will, uh, and it has already. We just need to kind of stamp it out and just kind of work it out a bit better. Surely the AFL is good enough for this. Uh, I guess I'll just say one other thing is that um, because we talk about the players having emotion and being human, and the umpires are the same, you know, they're and you've umpired sport, I have as well, and it's it's stressful. And every umpire is going to react differently. And so if the AFL is not providing umpires with good, clear guidelines, then if an umpire is under stress and having a bad day, maybe that umpire who called that one against Coniglio was just fed up because he'd had players questioning him all day and he just snapped. You know, who knows? We don't, we don't know. But there needs to be something clear from the AFL so that this doesn't become the unwanted spectacle that's clearly become over this week. Couldn't agree more. And I think your point to it just ends up meaning that the crowd just turns on the umpires and that's that's the worst thing. The point about the umpires is we're not meant to notice them uh, and it's when something like this happens, when you give them the tools to do something to change the momentum of the game that's not related to anything on the ground, so this is, sorry, not with the play of the ball necessarily, that's that's bad, right? That, that's a mm. bad look. You can tell the crowd's going to just start ripping into you because they've noticed you now. Like when, you, when you've noticed the umpire, you don't you, you get mad about it. But the that's not to say that the descent rule isn't important. We want to definitely stamp some of this stuff out of the game, but in the current state, it's not it's, it's not doing it. It's actually doing the opposite. So anyway, we we talked enough about that. Right, let's go back to the Swannies. Um, Mate, we, the, the game against the Ds was pretty rough. Let's be fair, flat across the board. Replacements-wise, do you see us swinging the axe at all? Uh, I mean, like, like we were talking about before, if we look at this game as an aberration, just like one, one crappy effort in a whole season, then there's not really any need to overreact with big selection changes, I don't think. And and honestly, even if, even if the Swans did, even if... Longmire is furious and he just wants to drop half the team. Who's he going to put in? I was looking at the VFL um, results from the Swans VFL versus Casey Demons. They lost by about, I don't know, 40 points or so, 42 points, I think it says here. Um, They lost every quarter. They had 13 AFL-listed players, the Swans, playing in that game, 13. But of those 13, only um, McLean with 33 games, Francis with 54 games, and Sheldrick with two games, they're the only ones who've ever played AFL before. So we only had three fit players with AFL experience playing football last week. So who comes in? Like, well, you can't really do much. Um, that's that's the backup because the injury list is pretty pretty tough at the moment. You've got Clark, who's one to two weeks away. Wicks, who's to be confirmed. Constanti, who's a young guy who could hopefully have been coming in to play early in the season, we, we thought maybe, also to be confirmed injured. Reed two weeks away. Hickey, three weeks away. Fox, one to two away. And Melican indefinite. So... There's not really anyone lining up to come in. Sheldrick had a great game. He had 34 touches in the VFL, nine clearances. McAndrew was solid in the ruck. Um, Gould, we haven't heard from over the preseason, hardly cited. There's not really a long list of people that are pushing to to get into the seniors. Yeah, and this is different to other years where we've been lucky enough to have ourselves some depth where we've had competition pretty much all around the ground uh, with the exception of the Miz, but they're, they're unique and tough to, tough to build out. But this is, and, and this is something I actually wanted to bring up last week as well, but given that the, the win was so convincing against the Hawks, we kind of laid off it. But the VFL side, and this is just a bit of a flag um, now to anyone listening in, we are light on depth uh, down the line. And this might come and bite us in time, but it 
it, 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 it's to your point, we don't really have a lot we can do about it. So, yeah, sure, the Amadi McLean one is the obvious one. They're the two that are kind of battling out, and Amadi is winning at the moment with McLean's one prior to that. Uh, other than that, we've got a couple of fellows that could help out and pinch, um, like you know, Aaron Francis, as you mentioned. But there's not really going to be a bunch of guys that are knocking on the door and, 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 and in the mix for getting time on the ground. Will Gould has not played well in the VFL uh, at all in this in this year. So we probably he, – he's not knocking down the door for, for a crack at either as well. So, yeah, tough one to be. Mate. It's, it's kind of um, flagged that we don't really have the depth that we do other years. I'm a bit worried about it, to be honest with you. Yeah, because, I mean, after last season, a lot of these sort of depth, like fringe depth players all got delisted or retired, like like Colin O'Reardon left, Ben Ronk, um, Bell – they were all gone and uh, Lewis Taylor or so. These are all players who um, would be able to come into the team and play a role if necessary. None of those players exist now. We've got a bunch of 18, 19, 20-year-olds with zero AFL games to their to their name and, you know, not probably ready to play AFL. A yeah, lot definitely. Like, there's no, like, we're pretty, pretty excited about a fair few of them. Um, nonetheless, I think they're going to come good. But, yeah, with, there's, some, there's some time to put into them before we get the – benefits like all right well let's not let's not um if we were going to swing the axe let's let, let's not sit on the fence here would we be swinging the axe this week i as you mentioned it's an aberration i personally think no i think uh, the team that we had out there that ran on is a team that we continue to play i think they're the best that we have outside of a couple of injuries with hickey and fox um and even then to get them on the ground where would i place them so I still see us just running that same team on for next week. Do you, do you feel the same way? Um, one I think about is um, is Matt Roberts, the the young guy who's been the the sub what three weeks in a row now, hasn't he? He was sub round one, two, and three, so he's only come on and played about a quarter three weeks in a row now, which means he he's been without a full game for almost a month but then they have a problem that this coming weekend the swans vfl has a buy so he doesn't have an opportunity to go back to the vfl and play a full game this weekend so you wonder what they might want to do with him because sheldrick in the first two weeks in the vfl has been dominant so he's he's really putting pressure to get himself into the 23 he's probably the only one but he's still putting the pressure on roberts you would think is the most vulnerable but then you can't give him a full run this week because there's no game. So my guess is, yeah, it probably stays yeah, the same. That's fair. I think the Amadi piece, so the Amadi has been the one that they've subbed out and that's partly because his, I guess his running fitness isn't entirely there yet. He hasn't had a preseason arguably ever <laughs> because of uh, injuries <laughs> along the way and whatnot. Um, and you, we can all see his talent. We're all quite excited about seeing the more we see of him, the more, the more excited about it. Um, so, but he's been taking uh, only three quarters at a time with uh, Roberts coming in. So it's, it's kind of, that's, yeah, to your point, steve if we want to develop either one of them, you kind of want them to run on for the whole game or there's a good reason for it. So, yeah, Roberts is probably knocking down the door to have a crack somewhere on the field. Where that is, I don't know. Um, I saw Dill got pulled uh, in the game, I personally think, because of horse's frustration he was just not happy with him dill played you know, the worst game he has in in this in the last um yeah good year or so uh, but 
that's not to say that he has not going to turn it around quickly. Uh, he was effort was there, just execution wasn't. I don't see. I still see him keeping his spot, and I don't see Roberts necessarily coming in too much of it. So we'll find out where it's all up to anyway. Oh, and I was saying he's um, Stephen T. Still, he's effectively what a second year player because he's his first full season was last year, not even a full season, I guess. So he's going to take time to develop and learn. I think just because he was a very high draft pick, we can't expect him to just be a dominant player right away. Different guys take different amount of time. And um yeah. and maybe he does need a week off. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe maybe he does get a rest or or maybe Cunningham's knock was worse than we thought or or whatever and he comes out and someone comes in. But but as we said, there's only really three guys in the reserves right now that are likely to yeah. come in. Well I'm I'm excited about the Gus bus. So I'd like to see him get a bit of time on there. But uh yeah, we'll find out. He's seen, he's his size is good, he likes to get his hands on the ball, he's a desperate crummy player, something that we kinda of are missing a little bit more in the mid. So, but does that mean we're going to have him? Oh, while I, while I have you, mate, um, Errol Goulden, um, bit of a tangent, uh, smooth transition over the Errol Goulden. The, I just feel that his role in the mids is not there. I don't think we're being able to utilize his proper skill set of vision around the ground, having the extra second to just nail that kick. And we saw a couple of them on the, on, on the, game, on the game last week. By him being in the mids, he can tackle. He's a great tackler for his size. He's very, very good. But I don't think we're getting the most out of him. Uh, and I don't see how we would be able to, given the nature of that role. What What is your take on it? I'd like, like to hear I know you're a massive Gould fan. Yeah, definitely. And um, I think with him, it's a tough one. And like, watching the games on TV, it's hard to see how, um, how players are moving around the ground. So you never really know more than I mean what you see on your screen and we know that AFL is not the best sport to watch on a telly um, with Goulden I, I wonder if he's getting more attention than he's been getting previously and and I don't mean like a hard tag or anything I just mean that he's getting um, more physicality around the ground than than what he might have got in his first couple of seasons um, because in that preseason game he got like 45 touches and you know everyone with a fantasy league team put him in there and and we do forget that he's still like a, an early third-year player, so he's going to have fluctuations in form. He's he's playing, and he's, he's not a huge guy. Like he's he's a smaller body player. He's playing against giants every week. Like he's he's going up against midfielders who have got you know twelve, fourteen plus centimeters and ten plus kilos on him. So he's he's getting that physical battering um, much more around the ball than he was on a wing and a half forward last year. So I wonder whether that maybe contributes but I'm really just just guessing because I think he's awesome <laughs> I don't yeah, have a bad I, word to I, say I, about I, him <laughs> I know I love him I, I love him I'm so excited about seeing him more I just I just want I want to see him with the ball more uh, with more space um and I just I know we'd seen how damaging he, he can be um and he's very clever he finds himself space he finds himself an opportunity so maybe maybe it is. He's a smart player. He's tough. Um, he's not going to back down from a contest. So you know, having extra time in the mids perhaps does allow him to find enough time and space to make it his own and, and unique little brand of it. Um, but in a game against you know, the Ds, I would have loved to have seen someone roll in and then he roll out a little bit more um, to be a bit more damaging with it. But I mean, the the, the whole 
we weren't beaten by one player. We were we've beaten by uh, quite a few. So it's uh, yeah, there was probably a lot to it. Uh, and Goulden too, like in the first two weeks against bloody against Gold Coast and Hawthorne, he was in our best players. So he's had one flat week, and he's mm. he's twenty or twenty one years old. So it's right, thank you, Steve-O, for uh, yeah talking me off the uh, bridge there. Uh, yeah, we'll- the the era of Goulden defence was complete for the day. <laughs> <laughs> the ba- there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Phalanx over there. Yeah, um, I wasn't so kind to Tommy McCartan, but I've got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where? Yeah, where's the Tommy? Mc- no, I was defending Tommy McCartan. That's an old. Yeah, I, I was week. not, and, and I maybe should have, but I didn't. Yeah. Oh well, we'll remember this. The, the, the fans will start just giving us a uh, hate mail soon enough. Yeah, that's it. I'll, I'll have to go go silent on social media. I'll have to close all my profiles. And speaking of, uh, you know what? Speaking of a number one Errol Gordon fan, it probably goes out to Talia, and I should do a bit of a shout out. Talia, um, who's a massive uh, Swans fan, huge Errol Gordon fan, actually did our halftime review from the MCG, which is really lovely of her. She was pretty nervous, uh, and she did an amazing job. So well done, Talia. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, I saw that. It was good. It was a good one. Yeah, she was grand. She was perfect. Um, she was saying she was nervous, and she said it over, and I'm just like, damn, that was great. What are you talking about? Um, she's a huge Errol Gordon fan, so I just want to shout that out. So any um, negativity that I push towards Errol Gordon, I'll hear it, no doubt about it. Um, all right, back to back to the, the Port Adelaide game. Uh, Port Adelaide SCG on Saturday. We haven't lost. Sorry, we haven't beaten Port Adelaide since 2016. Did you know that? I was baffled. I, I didn't know that actually. What was happening? That we won the. We didn't win the. We, we didn't win the. We did the opposite of we. We unwon the grand final that year, didn't we? So it was. Yeah, it's a long time ago. <laughs> Yeah, round 20, 2016 was the last time we beat them. At, I was at the SCG. Yeah, and it was like six straight losses against them uh, otherwise. Uh, prior to that, it was four straight wins to us. But um, with the last four games being at the Adelaide Oval. Uh, so I don't know whether that makes a bit of a difference or whether they were up and about. Like, well, Let's have a look at the year. So we played them once per year. Uh, give or take. So, yep, that's exactly what's happened. So not nothing, just a one uh, effort per year. And, you know, there's a couple of times I can understand we weren't that great, uh, 2020, 2019, but, um, yeah, I, am surprised. So it sounds like they're a bit of a bogey side perhaps, or they just got up and about during these periods of time. Um, the wins haven't been one convincing win by over 40 points back in 2019, but yeah, yeah, that's, Kind of expected otherwise it's relatively close games um so i'm not too fussed about that they the the the, the port the port the port adelaide team is um they're kind of up and down they're all over the shop uh they lost in the fourth quarter in the showdown or uh with dawson uh, being best on ground um and with a ranking kicking five and another gen kicking uh sorry ranking kicking four so, but Port Adelaide's got a couple of key players, man, including our Ali Alia in the back line there. Um, Connie Rosie, uh, Connor Rosie, who's racking up touches. Scott Lysette in the ruck, um, who we were desperate to get, didn't get there. Um, and William Dew, uh, just absolutely dominating tackles with an average of like close to seven tackles per game. So really strong team, right? How do you see them? What's your take on all those guys? Uh, it's It's hard early in the year, but, I don't know. If we look at their results, they've first round they built at Brisbane at fifty four points. Then they got smashed by Collingwood by seventy one, and then they lost their their home showdown in their black and white jumpers by five goals to Adelaide Crows. So 
I don't know. I'm I'm more interested in the first result because if if the port that smashed Brisbane comes up against the Swans, then we're going to have a tough day because their best football is very good. And they were the same last year. They were they were kind of thereabouts, and then they teased a bit, and they didn't quite. And it depends which Port Adelaide we get. And if Ollie Wines gets in there and, and bashes us up, just like he did against Brisbane in the first week, and, and like he did against us last year, actually he was very very good against us last year, um, we're going to have a tough day. Sydney's best football is better than Port Adelaide's best football. But if the Swans are off like they were against Melbourne and Port are up, then they'll beat us. We're looking at this week to being a bit of a, a showcase of how we can bounce back from a bad loss. Uh, definitely want to see them, the Swans, really get out there and play our best game. We Like, like we mentioned this entire potty, are we fussed about the game against the Ds? Probably not. It sounds like we're like, okay, cool. We got beaten convincingly by a convincingly very good team um, who is in the premiership window, who have fantastic players across the ground, just strong everywhere built a very good team uh, and coached quite well. Uh, and so we were beaten by them. Fair enough, it happens. It's how we back it up. And this week is going to be very important. You just imagine that horse is in there every day, just ripping into these guys to get them fired up for this weekend. They can't. We can't have that kind of effort or that kind of, um, I don't know, uh, confidence going in for two weeks. We need to change it all up. So bit to go on there, mate. Do you have uh, any predictions on your side? Do you have any, that in yet? I've stopped doing them since the Bombers game that I gave out okay. last year. <laughs> um, I think the Swans are going to get a win. I think, like, like we said, the Melbourne game was disappointing. If if they turn in a similar effort against Port and get done, then I'll start to be wondering what's going on. But if they come back out and play what we know they can do, this team was in a grand final like six months ago. They're not The Swans are not a bad team. It's the same team more or less that we had. Like almost the same team. Um, Sydney's best football. I reckon they'll win by you know, not a not a flogging, but a, a solid win. And so I'd be definitely. And it was the first Saturday night game of the the SCG, right? Isn't it? It's just Saturday night. Yeah. Yeah. Swans will come out all all fired up. They like Saturday night at the SCG. A lot of good Swans moments have happened in Saturday nights at the SCG. I think this will be another one. Yeah, perfect. All right, no worries. I am going to hold back, as I mentioned, um, my uh, prediction for Bombers last year uh, and then them turning around and having the worst game I've ever seen in my life. It will haunt me forever. Granted, they did then pick it up from there and then roll themselves into a grand final, so maybe I should be saying something, but I'm not. Anyway, um, it is, is it celebration round this week? No, the week after. But is, are we meant to be saying goodbye to Gil? Yeah, it's got to be coming up, right? You you, you had a chat with him the other week and he didn't want to be set to a date, but I think they were talking about the, the Adelaide gather round round would be his final final round as CEO, right? So maybe they're going to soon tell us who the next boss is. Yeah, and that's what? That's round is that the, is that round seven then? Who's replacing him? Should we not know by now? It's happening in like like 10 days. Like can we can we find out, please? I want to know. Is it, I like. I spend a lot of time in this game, and I enjoy it. And I want to know who's bloody well running it. I think. Um. I think he's just going to stay in the job for as long as he possibly can until they find someone else to do it. Maybe no one wants to do it. I don't know. The it must be a it must be a tough <laughs> job, right? <laughs> we're, we're talking off air, and I think part of the reason of uh, Gil's success, of why why he's done, um, well, he's kept the role and and been at it for some time. He doesn't. He he's he he acts as if he's better than us. Um, 
and it kind of works. He does have very <laughs> nice hair because he's a forty middle forties oh, year old hair. man, and that hair is is just immaculate. So it's very hard not to um, not to think that he is the best man to run the AFL purely on the head of hair. <laughs> it's hard not to uh, appreciate a man with that kind of long hair. Yeah. I, I saw it in person. I feel that, and this is a bit of inside tip for everyone. I, I feel that a bit of it, a bit of it's. Um, uh, combing action, a bit of the combing action to keep uh, so. keep bits of shadow in certain sections. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's a bit of a, a bit of combing going on. Anyway, still, I'll leave that there as the most controversial thing said on this podcast I'll, outside of Steve-O saying yeah, Tommy Mack was awful. Bashing poor Tommy McCartan for having a good game. Um, but you, could, you <laughs> could you replace that beautiful head of hair with – maybe that's why Tom Harley is out of the running because we heard about Tom Harley to start with and we've heard nothing <laughs> – for months about about yeah. Tom, it's probably the dome that's keeping him off the books. So maybe you need. Some Mate, flux. I don't think he's ever had hair. I think he came <laughs> out out of the womb with no hair, and he's just kept it that way for whatever. So yeah, it probably could be. Probably could be. I feel you, Tom. I feel you as a, as a hair <laughs> yeah, Steve is not graced in that way either. No. Uh, so let's just keep that no, there. Uh, well, look, we're going to head into the last minute things. It's been a long podcast. Um, before we wrap up, I really want to give an enormous shout out to the SCG Trust and the Swans who were beautiful enough to give um, seats to Kenny and Yvonne uh, Williams on their favorite spots um, and that have their names and are colored in the red and white. Um, there was a video going around uh, yesterday where the Swans were, well, day before yesterday, I apologize, um, the, the, the Swans were showing Yvonne um, the, the seats that they made them. Um, she had no idea that it was coming. And she was just in tears and we're all in tears. And it's just a really beautiful gesture. I'm the first one to smash the SCG Trust at any opportunity, but I'll tell you what, they did an amazing job this time around to put this together. Uh, and it just goes to show how close the Swans are united to the SCG and in particular how Kenny was united to all of us as an ultimate fan. Right? Beautiful, beautiful gesture by both of them. Well done, Swans and the Swans, uh, SCG Trust. A really good thing. And there's not a single Swans fan that, wouldn't say that that was 100% worth it and we probably should be doing more for Kenny and his family. So thank you very much. Any Anything yourself there, uh, Steve, you want to jump in with? Uh, just to, to agree with what you said, it was fantastic. I mean, I remember even like in the 90s watching Swans games at the SCG and seeing Kenny and all of his crew behind the, um, the goals down there and uh, absolutely essential part of the club for a long, long time. So great to see them get that recognition. Yeah, deserved and yeah, we should be, I uh, hope, we, hope we find a way to do more. Well, that brings us to the end of the episode. So on behalf of Bob, thank you very much for everyone in listening in. And if you're listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcast, please make sure to follow the channel and like this episode. It does go a long way to supporting the bevy. And frankly, there is very little Good Swans content out there by general AFL media. So to support your podcasts, wherever they are, is a big win for all Swans fans. But up until then, up the bloods and can you Swannies! Swannies.